Hey, this is John Gill with On The Fly, episode four. This week, my guest is South African filmmaker S.J. Van Breda. I first became aware of Sarah's work from the Filmic Fest 2019. She submitted her film, Jane Digby, which is about an artist that lives near Sarah in South Africa. And it's an amazing piece of work. I was very glad, as you'll hear, that I submitted my film, A Perfectly Healthy Situation, into the Made on Mobile category. And if possible, I recommend that you watch her five-minute short, Jane Digby, before you listen to the podcast. We refer to it a lot, and there's a link to it in the show notes. She went to film school, trained filmmaker, she shoots traditionally but she also shoots a lot of mobile and in this episode we'll talk about her creative process how she likes to work and how she's brought some of that mobile sensibility to her traditional filmmaking but vice versa how she's brought some of that uh, film school training to what she does on mobile so Uh, We'll also talk a bit about shooting vertically, which she does in some of her films that she's made for a couple of competitions. So, song for the episode, I've still not got out of the 70s. Um, And I don't know, it doesn't doesn't feel very inspired this week, I've got to be honest. I've gone quite literal. But it's, um, it's for Sarah and it's for Jane, the artist in her film, and it's by The Velvet Underground and it's called Sweet Jane. So what else is coming up? Well, if you're new to the podcast, then there's a taster episode where you can catch up on snippets from the previous three episodes. That's Jack Hollingsworth, who is a pro photographer of 30 years, and the last 10 he's been dedicated iPhone. Uh, Tim Bingham also pro photographer who likes to shoot using mirrorless and uh, also mobile and he uses an android phone and then the previous episode is the first part of an interview i did with christian payne uh, aka documentally creative technologist all round sort of uh, particularly with audio um, that's his thing photography and audio but he, there's not much that he's not into in terms of social media and creating content. So lots of great stuff in there. And there's more to come. And uh, part two will follow in uh, in a few weeks. Also on the taster, as well as a little bit from Sarah, you will hear a few minutes from Robbie Cumming of BBC's Canal Boat Diary fame. He's basically a YouTuber who got the call from the BBC to adapt what he does on YouTube for television and uh, he's currently filming his second series and it's still shot entirely by him on his uh, on his phone with one or two shots captured using drones and, and GoPros but um, that again another interesting chat and more music to come as well so uh, that's for another time and work permitting that will be posted mid to the end of next week so around the around the 18th 19th of june but for now it's on the fly episode four with south african filmmaker sj van breda
on the fly. Plane, obviously. Yeah. Um, but did but, you assume uh, that I was just a man? No, no, I assumed no, that you're okay. a woman. Okay. Um, and not just, I, I don't know, there was just something about the film. I, I don't know why, but I was really curious. I think it was just the fact that it was SJ and I didn't know. I, I have actually done that on purpose. Um, it's actually funny. Um, when I went to film school, um, one of my directing instructors was like, hey, is there any way that you can um, not defeminize your name, but is there any way you can make your name more obscure because you'll have more success if people don't know that you're a woman? And he wasn't, really? saying, it, he wasn't saying it derogatorily or anything. He was literally yeah, giving yeah, me a yeah. piece of advice. Like he, he's not a misogynist in the least. He was just like, mm. if people are reading a script and they see a woman's name on front, men are much more likely just to toss it without even reading it. And if you can go by your initials, they might actually give you a shot, which is horrible, obviously, mm. but it's the reality of the world. And he was literally like, hey, you might want to think about doing this. And I thought about it for a long time because my name is Sarah. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not like a name you can get away with oh maybe it's a man um, yeah <laughs> so yeah i thought about it for a long time and then um, my second name is joy so i literally just took my first two initials and used that and i don't i i can't tell if it's helped or not i suppose it's one of those things unless you lived two parallel lives you'd never you you can never right. compare the two and so before i'd even thought about whether you were male or female. My first thought was, I'm so glad I didn't submit to the documentary <laughs> category and that I put my film into the made on mobile category. Because I did I did wonder for, for a moment and I'd never submitted anything like that to a competition before. So I was just blown away by uh, Jane Digby. I just felt like I, if I was her, to have somebody make that kind of film about me must just be mind blowing. So, what what did she think about? I, I should talk to her actually about it. Maybe. Yeah. No. She. What, what did she think about it? Um. So, <laughs> it was actually a really quick turnaround. So I shot it and edited it all within a month and coloured it and did the sound design and everything. Um. Mm. Because I I kind of knew I wanted to submit it for filmic. Yeah. Um, and I was really nervous because that's not the usual timeline for me. Um, coming from like a film world, it takes a lot longer to prep and then to edit and stuff. So I was quite nervous. I went to her house with like a cut of it. Um, and <laughs> she just watched it quite like impassively, um, which is weird because Jane is not like that. She's like a very expressive person. And then yeah. she just like cried at the end of it. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's good. Um, <laughs> I guess that's good. Um, yes. She, <laughs> she, she did. So you're inside, you're leaping and punching the air because you're like, I made you cry. That <laughs> yeah, was the, that's, that that's was always the goal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it is a little odd for her because she hasn't ever done anything like it. And to see a, like a seven minute film, because the full version is seven minutes. There's quite a bit I had to chop yeah. out for filmmaking. Like, and to see a film like that about yourself where it's just talking about yourself is quite, um, I think to a lot of people, it feels like boasting. You know, it feels like, yeah. oh, my God, why did I, why have I made this? You know, she loved the story, but then she was like, I don't know. I like, I don't know if I should put this out. Um, but, yeah, I think sort of the more 
you watch it about yourself, the less, the less you see that and the more you see just your story. And I think she was okay with it then. But uh, like I've come, I've come across that a lot when doing short documentaries about people. They're like, but why would anyone want to watch this? You know, mm. um, it's just about me. Like it seems wrong. Um, so yeah, I've come across it quite often and you just, you have to talk to them very nicely. They're like, it's okay. Um, I find it interesting. I'm sure lots of people find it interesting. Um, and also it helps. I've got quite a large support network around me. So I show it to a lot of people before I sort of finalize a cut. And yeah. that gives you a much better indication of what the general public would, you know, how they would respond to it. It's, uh, I always feel like I'm not looking, I'm not looking for any kind of validation. If I, if I've put it out, I'm, I'm probably really happy with it myself. I'm just really curious to know if, if, if anybody else responds to it. And and if they do, then that's really gratifying and, and satisfying. Um, if they don't, it's not the end of the world. But it is it is tricky to, I think, with anything that's more than a couple of minutes these days, it's hard just to get people to sit down mm-hmm. and watch it. When you've finished something, what's what's your measure of success for something like that film? Um, success is a... I, I don't know if I have a measure of like success necessarily um, because I'm always going to be unhappy with everything I do always. I've just yeah. like uh, you get to a point where it's like, well, this is just how it's going to be. And I think as an artist, that's like quite natural um, yep. to always want to fiddle with it and always want to just like, this is not right. This is not right. Oh, I don't know if this is the right shot. Um, but when I, I have something that I think is coherent, I do send it off to someone I trust, like someone who mm. has not seen it, has not heard about it, doesn't know what is going on, like someone who's completely mm. new to it. And, but someone I trust, like that's very important. Not, the, not just some random person that you met or think would like it. Someone who has experience with film and rough cuts of film and who can see past some of the maybe the, the rough edges yeah. um, and can help you if you need it. I, I've, I've done that with people who don't understand that and you do then get, and, and you can explain it as much as you like in the email or yeah. a conversation, but you still get a ton of notes that are referring to shots that aren't there that you said wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, that are placeholders, just listen to the audio, ignore the visuals. And um, it can be really frustrating. For sure. Um, I think when you are looking to have someone help you with a cut or give notes, they have to have film experience. They have to have, it doesn't necessarily need to be on set or specifically in post-production, but they need to understand the process because it's it's a weird process to begin with. How much of the narrative did you have sketched out or you know a framework or was it just a you know did you have a rough idea of a narrative arc or did you just film stuff and interview her and then patch the story together afterwards so i did actually meet her before about a week before we just had coffee and we had i suppose it was like a two-hour conversation and all i did was talk to her about her life and her process and um, my mom's an artist and I've grown up around artists my whole life. So 
it's it's quite easy for me to talk to them about it and to know what they're saying and you know I I feel like I fit with artists quite a bit um so we just had a very casual conversation about her life and what she is willing to talk about because I find that that's um it's quite a big thing when you're making short docs about people who haven't had experience with filmmaking before um they they're quite hesitant but Jane is like not even close to hesitant she's like this is who I am and you know I'm proud of who I am and I'm at peace with who I am so you can use whatever you'd like yeah she actually got recommended to me by another artist friend of mine who actually produced Jane Digby she ended up producing the the short for me Hmm. and she said oh uh, I have this friend She's just gone through um, chemo and a whole cancer diagnosis, and she's just got back into painting now. So that's where I actually got to Jane at, where she was just getting back into painting after being sort of, um, not that she couldn't paint, she just didn't have that that willing spirit, you know, to paint for two years. So that's, that's sort of what I wanted to not focus on but bring out in the end um because i think it does speak to a lot of people a lot of people have had similar experiences to jane with cancer um and yeah i i sort of knew that's what i wanted to put into it um but yeah what i did was i filmed her first so we started really early in the morning with some nice light with sunrise and i filmed her the whole day Basically, I just watched her paint. We went to the went to the beach. Went to there's a forest by her house, um, and I filmed her the whole day and did the interview right at the end, which I I feel like it, it's better to film and know what you have and then do an interview so you can sort of not I had questions written before, but you can also steer questions in directions that you know may match with the visuals on screen okay that's really interesting because i think what i mean what you're saying makes a lot of sense and and i think having that time you know i think the interview is likely to be better if you've spent that time together because then by the time you sit down to have a chat you're more comfortable um however my, my intuitively, I'm, I always feel like I should be doing the interview first so that I then know what to film to illustrate whatever the story sure. is. So, but I, I suppose there's in reality, you end up doing a mix of both because uh, you know you maybe go back and do extra shots and and whatnot. Did you or yeah. was 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 the did you do all that? Did you do all of the filming in just one day or did you go back for for more or? So uh, Jane actually lives really close to where I live. Um, when I'm in KwaZulu-Natal in Belito, she stays here as well. That's where sort of I'm from. So it was easy for me to go back another day. And I did go back, I think, I think a few days later. And I did some more sort of close-up shots in her studio that I wanted to match cut or I wanted the sound effect from it. Um, but that was very specific sort of pickups that I did that I knew that I wanted. Um, and it works if you live close to them and you can just go back at any time. Yeah. Um, 
So it is. So in between times, are you doing lots of lots of cuts and and from what you've got, so that you know what exactly what to go back for? Yeah. Um, and it really helps to do that initial sort of getting to know you before. So I sat with her for a long time. I knew her story, and then I filmed, and then I did the on on camera interview, basically. So it's not going into it cold. You know, you sort of know where you want to go. And I did do a shot list before as well, um, just with ideas that I had, because I know artists, I know how they work, and this might work, and that shot might work, and this would be a nice match cut. On the fly, your match cuts. Honestly, I'm. I wasn't aware of them in a distracting way. I was just aware of them in the sense that I think after I'd watched it a couple of times, I then started thinking, how much preparation must you have done? Because I think for 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 people starting out, um, and especially for, for if I'm working with young people, one of the the challenges is to sort of just impress on how how much preparation can improve the whole process um and some of that preparation is just experience and and it's built in through other jobs but some of it is practical like you say either writing down a shot list or uh which might just be a list of bullet points or or doing some thumbnail storyboards but going in with some ideas to start with and then it frees you up to to get all the stuff that you couldn't have anticipated but how much you know what's your process for for generating ideas like that um because i went to film school it there is a very specific formula that i follow especially when i'm filming narrative shorts or something like that like it's it's very regimented um you know, if you're not writing the script, you get the script, you break it down in a very, like they teach you how to break it down. They teach you then sort of how to break down a script as a director, uh, how to do a shot list, how to do, you know, little, just little exercises that'll help you understand. But with a, with a short doc, it's more, and especially filming on mobile as well, it's very flexible. Um, so my specific prep for Jane Digby was I decided I wanted to film an artist. And so I watched documentaries about artists. I think that is the greatest prep you can do is if you're thinking of making a type of film, watch other films in that genre or watch other films that sort of inspire you within that story, because you can see what's out there, what's been done. And it's very helpful. 
Mm. So, and it also allows you to avoid some pitfalls without then you having to discover that all by yourself. Yeah. So I, yeah. I watched a lot of short documentaries on artists, mostly on Vimeo, which is a great resource. Um, and I saw certain shots. I was like, oh, that's a great shot. Maybe I could do it like this. Maybe I could do it like that. And then I wrote it down and tried it with Jane. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, but sometimes it worked. And that, that shot where she is painting on glass um, and her paintbrush is sort of coming towards the camera and it looks like you are the canvas. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was done in a form on some documentary I watched in Vimeo. It, it wasn't exactly that, but it was similar. And I thought, oh, how can I do it? What do I have lying around that I could make sort of a similar shot? And yeah, you know, and that's how all filmmakers work. They watch movies, yeah. they are inspired. And it's not... No, like, it's... I, 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 I was I was blown away by the the match your your match cuts. I mean, how much preparation do you do for you know where I'm thinking in particular of um, where she's she's walking through the studio and then she's walking on the beach mm-hmm. and she's walking through the woods. How much of that was in your head before you were filming? So I like if you've watched any any sort of other any films that I've done, I'm big into match cuts, Um, but uh, different match cuts, odd match cuts, not what you would expect. So I always try and put that in somewhere. I just like it. Like it's, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just one of my things that I do. So I'm always thinking of match cuts, to be honest with you. Um, And I filmed Jane walking into her studio um, through the door where she opens it and sort of the light only comes from the studio. I filmed that one first and I thought that would be a great match cut. I must remember to film her in the woods and on the beach in sort of the same distance, the same lens, um, so that I could match cut this nicely. So it's sort of... That's great. That's great. I love that you say, uh, I must remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because so often, you know, you, you, you're in a situation where you can't sort of just stop and write something down. So then yeah. you think, I'm, I must remember to do that because yeah. you see something visually. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I must probably. admit that sort of process was very foreign to me when I started shooting documentaries and on mobile. Because my training is, everything is planned in film. Everything. Mm. Like it's it's overplanned, and your shot list is poured over by assistant directors and cinematographers and production designers, and it, you know you need to go in there with a plan that is not inflexible, but it is planned. And if something happens, you need to know how to fix it and be flexible. But just rocking up and being like, "Oh, this will make a nice match cut," and then following it through is a very foreign concept to a lot of people who are trained. So I think that it. <laughs> It's actually really helped me. I suppose it is a style. And to find that through being very flexible. On the fly. The way that you use match cuts, I felt it wasn't just a style thing. It was more, it gave us an insight into who Jane was as a person. And visually, you were connecting these different aspects of her character to the point that it almost felt like the the studio could have almost been um, a a restrictive place for her, but actually 
it's like she goes out into to nature and and she connects with people and then the confines of that studio are where she's able to for it all to pour out but visually you did that you know she walked into the studio but next second she's in the woods and next second she's in the beach on the beach um and visually i I just thought it was it was so powerful um it's just a great use of a style that it's not just a visual tick it was it, it it enhanced the story and and I thought I just thought that was really powerful. Thanks, because I, um, I I did think about that quite a bit because she did mention in the conversation I had with her before how important nature is to her and how it inspires her. So it was always going to feature quite heavily. Yeah, I, well, I I just thought it connected to, and yet I, I suppose ironically, her paintings are predominantly portraits and 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 faces, and so. But still, you could see, you could see that. I mean, she's a force of nature, and that's. I, I felt that was what you'd illustrated, and she is. Yeah. Although she, <laughs> she is clearly comes across as quite a, um, an articulate and quietly confident, powerful person, that force of nature comes out in her paintings because they're just alive with with color and brush strokes and which again it was i mean it's nice to hear in a way that you kind of pinched the painting on glass idea um i would have been i can't tell you how devastated i would have been if you just said oh yeah it just popped into my head <laughs> um but um the but equally it was so relevant to her work because that that you know, the brushstrokes that you saw on the glass were then reflected. It wasn't just a gimmick. You know, here's a painter. Let's just have a a, a, a gimmicky shot from a different perspective that shows a point in the back. That's how she that to me that and and I'm, I I my, the extent of my knowledge of her is the five minutes that you shared in the filmic competition. Um, but what came across was this is how this is me at work as an artist and then when you saw the paintings and there were some lovely close-ups where you can see the texture of the the canvas and the paint and you can see those brush strokes it, it made perfect sense to connect the two but the other thing that I was really interested in that they sort of struck me as really clever ideas it was where you did the match cuts between the brushes out, yeah. out, the, the, out the pots and then the the, the treetops where where did that come from uh, that was 100% just luck. <laughs> it was just, uh, I sort of, while she was making lunch, I think for us, I just sort of did some B-roll of her studio. So, you know, just the generic stuff. I thought I'll get it from above. I'll get it from, you know, side on. And I just filmed a whole bunch of stuff. And I was just sort of sifting through it. I thought, oh, this looks cool. And I had this, I had this shot of treetops. And I was like, oh, let's put this together. It wasn't, ugh. It wasn't planned at all. And then once yeah. you get, but once you get that idea, once you're like, I can relate these things to nature, then it's sort of all, you know, you looking for that when you go through the footage again and you're actively looking for stuff you can match cut. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was inspired because my film was the complete opposite. Oh, somebody, somebody, someone is mending the roof. Yeah. Everyone is doing <laughs> That's fine. We can, we can work past it. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, it's fine. Um, my film was the complete opposite. 
I chose to sort of, you know, I knew there was loads of background noise and that became a character in the, in the film as well. Um, the whirring of the machines and the clack of the projectors and, but it was a lot, it made a lot more sense just to speak to him while he was doing his job. Yeah. And, and he was a lot more comfortable as well. But yeah. I didn't, beyond that, I didn't sort of think to connect what he was doing with anything outside of that room. And maybe that's for another film, but it really, your film inspired me to think beyond, you know, what's in the space? How, how else can we connect? I, I, suppose, I think it's very from, interesting that, like, you interviewed him while he was doing his job because what I can't stand in documentaries, most documentaries, is the talking head. You know, like you were... Yeah you were saying that he was interviewed in the cinema. Uh, it works for some people, um, but it's very hit or miss. And a lot of people who are not used to being filmed freeze up when you put them in front of a camera. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's why I only did, like I used my phone to record it, but I, I just recorded audio for Jane's yeah. and, and the, in the subsequent films I've made as well, I find it just, it like allows them to be natural and, I suppose it's the sort of the same with you. You have to put a camera in his face, but he's doing his job, so he's comfortable. On the fly. Um, you mentioned your producer, and I thought it might be interesting for people to hear in the context of something like Jane Digby, what is the role of the producer? Um, so my producer for Jane Digby was Natasha Barnes, and she's also an artist. Um, she's a well-known abstract artist. I actually have a documentary of her in the works, still editing it. Um, and what she did in this context as a documentary producer is greasing wheels, basically, for me, mm. which is... I think a big part of a producer's job anyway. Um, and she introduced me to Jane. She scheduled us and um, provided us with sort of like, she introduced me to her. She was actually physically there in the meeting with us. And I found that having someone like that, especially someone respected in the art world when you're dealing with artists, which I am dealing with a few artists right now, I'm hoping to put together a feature shot completely on mobile um, of these artists in South Africa is it just gives you a bit of legitimacy on both sides. So Jane mm. trusted her and knew her well, and I trusted her and knew her well, and therefore we trusted each other immediately. And that's a, it's a big deal when you're filming someone for them to trust you. Yeah. So she helped me a lot in that respect. And she is dealing with a lot of sort of the stuff afterwards, um, trying to get exposure for Jane Digby and stuff like that. So, yeah, she. Without her, I wouldn't have made the film. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, kind of an ally, really, just somebody who's yeah. going to support you in the process, and because it can is, be quite a lonely is, process, kind of. Yeah, and she is very, um, sort of uh, supportive, but she pushes you. You know, so she's like, "When can I see this? When can I see this? Are you doing this? You know," um, and filmmakers if left to their own devices, they're like, oh, well, I'm editing something. And one year later, they're still editing the same thing, you know? Yeah. So it, it helps to have someone like that around to give you deadlines and to, um, yeah, it's, it's very helpful to me. 
Yeah, I don't think I would have finished if it hadn't been for the filmic competition uh, yeah. because <laughs> I, I, like you said before, they're never they're never completely finished. And and um, George Lucas once said that films are never finished; they're only abandoned. Yeah, that is true. 100%. And sometimes I wish he had sort of properly sort of taken that to heart and just abandoned his films instead <laughs> of keep revisiting them. But uh-huh. but he, you know, yeah, it's it is it's dead right. Um, so I'm glad actually that we've been able to get this far without sort of focusing too much on the fact that you did shoot mobile, um, because I think if anybody saw your film, it wouldn't be immediately apparent to them that it was That's that good. it was mobile. I, I, I think it would be you know the last thing that you would think of. Out of so you mentioned before about the the process and how meticulously everything is planned and it, and by and through necessity it has to be. Mm-hmm. But what's what's your favourite way to work? <laughs> um. Well, I my favourite type of film to make is narrative, um, like a like a. I'm a little bit surrealist in my approach to writing. So my inspiration is like Yorgos Lanthimos. Like that is the sort of where I would like to go. And that is um, very meticulously planned and thought out. Mm. So I kind of have to, that has to be my favorite way, really. Um, But I have learned a lot from the flexible process of mobile filmmaking. And I think it has added something spontaneous to my filmmaking process that wouldn't be there if I hadn't sort of picked up a mobile phone to film because it is so, um, it is so emphasized to you the planning that is needed that it takes an experience of sort of filming on mobile to unlearn that a little bit. Obviously you can't completely because that's just not how filmmaking works, but it does give you a more relaxed approach, if that makes any mm. sense. And I have sort of used that more relaxed approach the last two short films that I've shot. Yeah. I, I shot two short films in Italy last year. Um, so I tried to take some of that stuff that I've learned from mobile filmmaking into that sort of arena, which was difficult because the people that I was sort of working with were trained, um, mm. uh, were either at film school or had graduated. And, um, yeah, I think, I think they expected something different from a director coming in there, a writer and director coming in there. Um, and it, it probably would have been more, I would have been more what they expected if I had come straight from film school and done, done films there. But because I had this sort of more ad hoc experience of mobile filmmaking, I think it was, it was a different experience for them. And I think they enjoyed it as well. Why did you pick up a mobile phone to... Um, completely by necessity, because I didn't have a camera. Um, yeah, I graduated film school and I, I went to Vancouver Film School and I stayed there for a while and I did a bit of work and got some experience, but then I had to come home because of my visa situation. Um, and I arrived back home. I didn't have any more cinema cameras or anything like that. <laughs> not, certainly not the type I was used to. Mm. And... I had a phone and Nespresso Talents had just been announced. I think it was their, I think it was their third year or second year. Um, and I thought, well, I have a phone, you know, it's vertical. I might as well use a phone. So that's how it happened. 
But that's really good because, you know, it'd be so easy to just sort of think, well, I don't have the the kit that I'm used to. I don't have the kit that I'm trained to use and and just sit around waiting for somebody to give you a project so that you could hire a kit or it's I think it's always better to just try and find a way to do it. It's just so easy with a mobile phone. The technology has progressed so much that you're sort of not in, not being able to tell that it was shot on mobile anymore. And then I, I have all this flexibility. I, I actually wouldn't want to shoot with a bigger camera for my own projects, my own small documentary projects. And I'm hoping to shoot like a small narrative project on a phone as well. So uh, I actually, I wouldn't choose another camera um, in that sort of sense. And there is a lot of, um, I think, snobbery in the film industry right now where it's just like oh you know get away from me with that phone like you can't shoot on a phone um and like i've encountered it but a lot of the people that i know in the film industry are just intrigued you know Mm. when i show them the end product and then tell them it was shot on the phone they were like no it's not no like no it's not shot with filmic pro it's shot on this phone it's shot like uh, DSLRs and stuff were also marked when you bought that when you bought that on a film set people were like laugh at you but now a lot of short films are shot on cameras like that yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's legitimate um so I think that's where the phone is heading and also some someone very much smarter than me told me this he said that if it's a choice between making a film and not making a film there's no choice if you shoot on a phone you have a film and if you choose not to film you don't have a film and it's better to keep making films that is the only good um necessary experience for making films is to make more films and you think this is mental this is just this is just my phone yeah um i'm almost embarrassed that it's capable of phoning people because (laughs) it's just so good at everything else that it does yeah Uh, the best prize to get like from winning a filmmaking competition is more filming gear because it just ups your game so much and i'm very grateful to filmic pro every day to be honest with you um it's just raised my game so much with the stuff that's coming out now and it I mean, they gave me an opportunity to speak at that uh, Mobile Creators Summit as well, which is yeah, just a Yeah, which is really exposure. good. Look out for that. Yeah, I, I was so happy to do it. And they were so organized and so they're just so well put together and professional. Mm. I'm like, wow, you guys are really legit. Um, and also, like, I've gotten opportunities from people seeing Jane Digby on the Filmic Pro website. So I will always be grateful to Filmic Pro. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I've I've got way more uh, views on the filmic site than everywhere else I've yeah. put it combined. Yeah. So that's that's value in itself.
so the inevitable question with mobile then is landscape or mm-hmm. vertical and i suppose 2 3 years ago i would say to people v- vertical I mean, I could be really unkind and say, unless you're my wife at sports day, you shouldn't be shooting <laughs> vertical. Um, but in reality, I suppose what, what's happened in the last few years is that a few platforms have come out that have meant that it makes sense to shoot vertically because that's how they work. So things like Instagram stories or Snapchat, but we're still not talking about narratives in quite the same way that you would with a feature. Um, but actually, one of the things that really intrigued me recently was on your Instagram, you'd sort of taken some screenshots from the film that you're making, but you took your vertical shots, chopped them up into three, so that when you looked at the sort of the library view in Instagram, you could see the vertical format. They were sort of stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, which then I've, I've taken that hundreds of thousands of photographs in the vertical sort of format because it's in terms of composition, it's, it's every bit as good as landscape. Yeah. But having sort of seen your stills, and I only saw the film this morning, but even having just seen the stills, I felt compelled to think of something that I've come up with a project where, that I could shoot vertically so what have what have you you know how's that experience been for you why did you choose to shoot that vertically um in the is that a condition of that particular competition yeah so nespresso talents they it's not a gimmick but it's it's their thing they shoot nine by 16 like so that you can only submit films that are in that ratio um and that's how I started doing it. I submitted for the 2018 competition, um, just vertical. That's why I shot on a phone because, well, this is the perfect thing to shoot vertical with. So I did that. I actually got into the top 10 in the international competition with that short documentary I did. Um, and I, I have submitted the previous, the, I mean, the next two years and the Secret Love Project is the one I submitted this year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, basically just because of that competition that I started shooting vertically. Um, It has taught me a lot. Um, You sort of, your whole mind rebels against it when you start doing it. It's just like, this is not natural. I I don't want to do this anymore is like what my brain is saying to me the whole time I'm shooting this. And every time I frame up and I'm like, oh, but landscape would look so much better, you know, like, oh, oh no, why, you know? Um, but it does, it does, it helps you because you're growing as a filmmaker, you're thinking about things differently. And if you think about things differently, that's growth in filmmaking. So, and it it just teaches you how carefully you have to select your subject matter now for vertical, because you can't, I know a few people who shoot in 4k or in 6k or whatever, and then chop up their frame vertically Mm. and it's not cheating because you can totally do that. It's just, why don't you shoot full resolution vertically and see what it does to the processes in your head as a filmmaker, Mm. because you might learn something different. And for this particular project, the secret love project, I knew I was going to shoot a lot of people 
and vertical is fine for shooting portraits. So that's what I did. A lot of people, um, a lot of, I went to shoot in an art gallery in Cape Town and that's all sort of vertical lines. So I did specifically choose subject matter for that. Intuitively, this is what people do with their phones, partly because of this is how they hold them and mainly because they've not been trained to do anything else. So, the, you know, the majority of the people I work with are in comms teams or, or their public sector employees or their teachers or their small okay. business owners. So they're furthest thing from film school and they just want to make little promotional videos about themselves, about their, their business or, or help their students to, to use video to evidence their work and things like that. Um, so the fact that they were coming back naturally having shot vertically and because I was teach at that point, I was teaching them apps where you could only edit landscape. I would have to say to them, like for, for the purposes of today, you're going to have to shoot landscape. It, but it, it did make me then think as, as platforms started using vertical. Okay. So how, how can we use it? And I think the, I don't know if you've seen the television, I think it was Samsung that created a TV that turns around 90 degrees. Oh, wow. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, what would, you, what would you do with a vertical film in a cinema? Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I haven't thought of projecting a vertical film ever. Yeah. I, I know when I make mine, I'm just like, well, it's, it's, it's perfect for a phone. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think smarter people need to, than me, they need to come up with like, <laughs> yeah me too i mean the best idea i've had is that we bolt the seats to the wall yeah so everyone's sat sideways it could be interesting yeah. but i mean if cinemas ever come back to life i know that's the thing isn't it yeah. yeah um um do you edit on mobile i don't i don't like uh, i would like to try and do that actually i've been i actually am working with a company called xiaomi studios it's the the mobile phone xiaomi um, in China and I'm okay. one of their me creators so I'm currently working with their phone um, and using the specs on their phone to create new um, mobile content and I'm hoping to edit on mobile with some of their the footage that I shot on their phone mm. um, but yeah I so is that, I've not yet. heard of that phone is that so is that an, is it Android it is um, right it's you should check them out i i can send you i can send you a link to their yeah yeah we'll put links in the notes as well that'd be, that'd but be they're, good. yeah they're actually um giving a lot of mobile content creators huge opportunities um to just shoot some amazing things I, they sent the one guy to antarctica um like on an expedition to film and like they're just giving us a, a lot of opportunities um wow. which is incredible because you have to use a phone you have to use their phone that's the point and their mm -hmm. phone is incredible like uh, <laughs> i'm not plugging for them or anything but they uh they have a 108 megapixel camera for photos um wow. and it's an incredible camera and i'm having a lot of fun actually playing around with their with their phone um but yeah i'm hoping to take that footage and edit on mobile um typically i use premiere or avid 
Um, I think Avid would just laugh at you if you try to put vertical footage in. So <laughs> I think it would come up with a little like message being like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah. The, the Avid, the Avid cops, there'd be like helicopters and, and uh, Avid cops abseiling yeah. through the, the skylights to take you away. Yeah. Um, but it would be, I, I'm dead. I'm, I would love to sort of uh, have a film screened in vertical just to, but I imagine in a regular cinema in a regular theater, it's going to look kind of impotent, but um, no, I, I was really, I, I really enjoyed, um, and I watched it on a laptop, on Vimeo, and so of course it, you, it's emphasised because again you're using, you're losing two thirds or nearly three yeah. quarters of the, of the screen, but the best I way to watch it is on the phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and there's but it's I just think there's loads of scope for composition, and mm. I know there are. I know there are lots of people who are still really opposed to vertical, but there's um, there's got to be there's got to be room for it. And especially, I think when it's done as creatively as as you have with that, then the shot that sold it in a, in a second, I thought, right, I need to do something vertical. Is the shot where someone's walking up some steps, and you've got the sticker on the sole of a shoe, uh -huh. and just the whole composition was like that wouldn't look anywhere near as good landscape. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to do that. You have to find the shots that would look worse in landscape. So you have to actively search for that. And then yeah. when people watch it, they're like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it's yeah. not just like a, a typical filmmaker trying to fit their stuff into vertical format. You have to completely let go of a lot of yeah. stuff that you're taught, um, which I think is only helpful. On the fly. Philip Bromwell is a mobile journalist based in Ireland. He heads up a team of mobile journalists for the public broadcaster in Ireland. A lot of their content is for broadcast as well as for social media and the web. So they're very off. They're usually creating multiple versions of the same story in different formats. Well, in, in landscape, portrait and square. Um, so they shoot, so all the time they're shooting that they're, they're, you know, they have that in their head, which yeah. is, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's enough to compose your shot for the format that you're filming in. Never mind thinking about how you're going to use it in two other formats at the same time. Um, th there's obviously room for the kind of stuff you've done where it's, it's shot vertically, it's for vertical, and you're composing it, and you're thinking really hard to get the shots that couldn't be done as well in any other format. And um, yeah, and that just makes me want to, you know, for somebody who was completely um, sort of opposed to the idea of vertical a couple of years ago, um, it's just sort of got me thinking, how can I be creative with that format? So, well, that's awesome. Thank it's nice. you for that. <laughs> it's nice to hear that. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll be seeing more of it. Um, it would just be great to see that kind of cinematic aesthetic mm -hmm. applied to. It. I think that's the thing. It's not just about turning your camera around. It's it's applying that having a cinematic um, feel. Because I suppose the thing with shooting on a mobile is the argument could be that it's not cinematic, but actually. You know, I think the, there were plenty of entries in the 
filmic uh, competition that proved that you absolutely can be cinematic. Um, For sure. So, um, and that's, and so then it demonstrates that cinematic is not something that is generated by a particular lens or a particular camera or even where it's shown, you know, where it's screened. It's, um, yeah. it's a, it's a sort of a sensibility that you can apply to, to your visuals. And, I mean, um, completely. I, I've seen lots of films shot on cinema cameras that are not cinematic, you know? Yes. Lots. Yes. Yeah. Lots, especially yeah. going to film school, you see a lot of. Uh, it's it's dependent on the skill of the person behind the camera, is what makes it cinematic, yeah. and if you can't achieve something, sort of, cinematic with anything you use, then it's not a problem with the camera. If you can't get the story across and you can't get that feeling, it doesn't matter which camera you use. To be honest, it's it's still going to be a struggle. <laughs> that that's what it is, you know. If you've yeah. got a dodgy, if you've got a film that hasn't been shot well, it's got nothing to do with the camera. Yeah. Um, equally, if you if you've come across a film that's been shot really well, that was nothing to do with the camera as well. I mean, it certainly helps. And yeah. sometimes we can be inspired by the the capabilities of these tools that we have to play with now, but ultimately. Um, it's your eye, isn't it? And and it's and it's putting yeah. those. And and I, I think the great thing is we don't truly understand how it all works. And if we did, yeah. it would kind of spoil it. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for having a chat today. And um, do you want to let us know where people can um, see your work? Yeah. Um... So yeah, Instagram mainly and Vimeo if you actually want to watch some films. Um, some of my films now are um, sort of passing their two-year mark that I've made them. So I'm just releasing them online because they've had their festival run and had their bit of distribution. I'm currently in the process of creating for Xiaomi. So hopefully on their social media channels, you'll see some of my stuff there too that I'll post links to. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you so much for um, the opportunity. So that's it for On The Flight episode four. Remember, there's the taster episode to catch up on the previous three episodes. Please get in touch on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at On The Superfly. You'll find me on LinkedIn and also on my website, madeonamobile.co.uk. Remember, I use phones and tablets to capture and edit and share stories. And I can help you do the same, whether it's your passion, your product or your process. Learn to tell your story using the movie studio that you already own, your phone or your tablet. So if you'd like to learn more, please get in touch. And remember that this pod was made on a mobile. On the fly.